of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are here. Since we are gathered to hear God's word and to call upon him in prayer and praise, let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, in word, and in deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. are new to us every morning, we humbly pray that you would look upon us in mercy and renew us by your Holy Spirit. Keep safe our going out and our coming in, and let your blessing remain with us throughout this day. Preserve us in your righteousness and grant us a portion in that eternal life which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
Almighty God, by your goodness, mercifully look upon your people that we may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The scripture readings for this, the fifth Sunday in Lent, the Old Testament lesson from the 37th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel, verses 1 through 14, reading as follows. And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood up on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And this is the word of our Lord. Epistle lesson from the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, verses 1 through 11. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord.
We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, o Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, but Rabbi, the the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, But Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And now when Jesus came and he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, and Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And to everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. 
And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, But Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his feet and face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Confess with me our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is from the epistle reading, Romans the 8th chapter. In the last couple verses of the epistle reading, St. Paul writes to us, he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is our text this morning, dear friends and our Lord Jesus. Celebrity endorsements are nothing new. Not so long ago, a a writer for the Los Angeles Times reminded us that they were already being used in the 1800s when Queen Victoria's laundress was used to give her ringing endorsement to Glenfield Patent Starch. Also, in his day, Mark Twain's famous face appeared on a bag of flour and a couple cigar boxes. Of course, since that day, celebrity endorsements endorsing certain products has proliferated, widely used today, as you well know. Of late, I'd say one of the most long-standing relationships between a celebrity And product has been the former basketball great Michael Jordan and his nearly 15-year endorsement of the sports drink Gatorade. Likely you'll remember that in years past. You might recall the tagline Gatorade used to market the drink in that prior campaign. Tapping into the emulation factor that celebrity endorsements do imply, the tagline for a long time, you might remember it, was like Mike. Like Michael Jordan, like Mike, I want to be like Mike, was the saying. At least that's the promise, that was the the slogan, the offer, by which marketers tried to hook or tried to convince the buyers. It's, It's how celebrity endorsements always work. They try to hook the buyer so that you will be, or at least you think you'll be, like the one who who uses or, or holds the product. In light of this, the, the, the current slogan for Gatorade, the one that they've been running recently, is, is interesting to us to note this morning. A different slogan, but with the same sense. Showing, as you've perhaps seen on television, many of, showing many obviously well-fit, top-notch athletes, many of them recognizable by their celebrity status, doing their sports thing, and then refreshing themselves with their product, Gatorade. The ad poses to you this question. Is it in you? Is it in you? And you know the implication. If it is, then likely you'll be like them. Well, friends, considering our sermon text today, it makes you wonder whether or not the marketers of Gatorade borrowed a little bit from St. Paul. Paul peddling or pitching nothing, but rather proclaiming to us the very pledge of God himself. He states it much in the same way. He doesn't pose it in the form of a question saying, is it in you? But rather, he puts it in the form of the promise. He says, if it's in you, if he's in you, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you and dwells in you, then you will be like unto him, then you will be raised like him. It's a truly magnificent promise, isn't it? So why don't we feel like him day to day? The evidence in our everyday lives is plain, plain as the nose on our face. We're not like him. 
now are we. Seems almost like a bit of that celebrity endorsement letdown when you realize after downing 12 bottles that you don't play basketball like Michael Jordan. You consider even this morning's aches and pains and groans and moans as you came here, especially this early morning. You consider these things, or you think about yesterday's sins. We wonder if the Spirit's dwelling in us, then, then why don't these bodies of ours resemble the risen Lord in how we feel and how we look and what we do? Why are we not like Him? Well, the reason, now that we are not like Him, it also comes from another phrase, in fact, a word in our text. The word is mortal. Mortal. Paul describes, remember, these bodies of ours as these mortal bodies of ours. And that word mortal is rather telling. It comes from the Latin, moris, mortis, from which we get words like mortician, mortify. The word means quite plainly death. Now it's understandable that we do talk this way, but yet it's rather ironic, I think, that that we talk about these mortal bodies of ours being healthy. Because the word implies exactly the opposite of health, doesn't it? Mortal means not healthy, but deathly. So we stand in line at the grocery store, waiting to be checked out. We read the headliners and the new, or rather the magazines about how to maintain a healthy body. Healthy habits, healthy diets, healthy weight. When even as we stand there, our mortal bodies continue to do what they do, and that's die. Mortal bodies, unlike his glorious body right now. Paul gives us the reason, too, of these mortal bodies. Remember, he said it in the text. He said the body is dead. He said because of sin. Now, if surveyed about life's biggest problems, the top answers probably would be conflict in the world, conflict in our neighborhoods, sickness, disease, health crises, ecological or financial disasters and challenges, oppression perhaps. Probably sin wouldn't be listed among the chief concerns, the chief problems we have in our life. But you know it's sin that gives birth to all of them just mentioned? If you yourself, if you're yet unsure that sin's a problem for you in your life, ask yourself but one question. Am I mortal? Am I mortal? Is death something that I have to face one day? Since St. Paul so interconnectedly, if you will, links death to sin, sin's a problem for all of us mortals. And so death is still a part of our life, even for us Christians, in whom the Holy Spirit does dwell by virtue of our baptism. Because sin is still very much a part of our life, Paul tells you that forgiven of it, it no longer reigns in you, but it's still there. It will be there until the day these mortal bodies are, are laid to rest into the ground and the place they wait their glorification. Because of sin, we do face mortality. In fact, it's nothing new to us, though, because 
sin is present in our lives, even from the moment of conception, dead. Dead is how life begins for each and every one of us. Think about that. Spiritually lifeless. The psalmist tells us we're conceived in sin, and so it's no wonder then that we hear St. Paul tell us that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. And physically, too, we're dying from the moment we're conceived, aren't we? It just, it's a little easier on the eyes and on the joints in the first couple decades. But nonetheless, we die and begin to do so from the moment we're conceived. That's why the picture that we, we get in the Old Testament reading from today, for today, from Ezekiel, that's why it's such a great picture for us, a good one for us to, to consider and to look at in, in light of, of the mortality in our lives. Mortality from the beginning of our lives. Remember how it goes, those, those dry and those dead and those lifeless bones, that mortal mess that did there lie on the valley floor? That's where the story begins. That's where your story begins too. And mine as well. So the question's very appropriate. Can these bones live? Can the mortal live? Well, indeed, not by ourselves. The bones, not by themselves. Remember for those bones that were strewn all across the valley floor? Remember what it took for them to be animated? It took a blast of the breath of God to animate them. It's very interesting to note, as we consider that in the New Testament here, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel's account, as it took a, a blast of the breath of God to animate those bones. It's very noteworthy that in both the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament's written, also in the Greek language in which the New Testament's written, the words for breath, ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek, both of these can mean both breath and spirit. And so when you think about it, it took a blast of the spirit of God the breath of God, the spirit of God to animate those dry bones, the ones who didn't have any spirit, any breath in them. You see where the spirit or the breath of God enters and dwells there, their death can't hang its hat. That which is of the mortal flesh, that's flesh, but, but that which is of the spirit, that's breath and that's spirit. And so considering all of this, then think again. Think again to the words of our epistle reading. St. Paul's words early on in the epistle reading because St. Paul talks about that very same thing of the spirit and breath giving life and freeing that which was dead. Remember what he said? For the law of the spirit of life, the binding principle of the spirit of life, the breath of life, has freed you from the law or the binding principle of sin and death. Sin and death bound you, mortal as we are, to that valley floor. But where the spirit and the breath of God has come to dwell in you, death is no longer binding there. And that's the magnificent news of the gospel, friends. That's the magnificent news of the gospel that we hear today. Death's been undone. We're unbound from it. Certainly not by our own doing. St. Paul makes that most clear, again in the epistle reading. 
He won't let us forget it when he says, God has done what you, by the law, the weakness of your flesh, he says, could not do. And note what he says. Doesn't leave us the least possibility that we could do it of ourselves. As if thinking back on those bones, as if they could put their sinews back on and reattach their own ligaments, recover themselves with, with their flesh and their skin, start their, their own vital organs again, pick themselves up off the dusty valley floor, floor and breathe into themselves the breath of life. It just doesn't happen. That's why St. Paul says, God has done what you could not do, what was impossible for you to do. Certainly our daily failings and the things that we should do but we don't do, things that we should not do but we end up doing, these things prove Paul's words true. If it were up to us, we simply could not do it. Could not do it. By the law of God, then death had legally binding claim on us, but this is the good news that it does no more. Death's been undone. We've been unbound because sin's been dealt with. Remember how connected death and sin are. Sin's been dealt with, friends. Where and how has it been dealt with? Paul continues, he says, by sending his own son in the flesh, by sending Christ Jesus in the flesh, God, he says, put, our, put upon him our sin. And now Paul Continues and he comes to the decisive phrase and the remarkable phrase. The phrase in which, picture in your mind, the phrase in which the gavel of divine justice comes pounding down once and for all time. Paul says, by sending his own son to take our place in the flesh, God has condemned sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. This he did on the cross in his son. To put it in other words of Scripture, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be guilty and judged guilty for us so that we might be righteous, not guilty in him. And that's why Paul says what he did at the beginning of the epistle reading when he said, There now is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The legally binding law has lost its claim on you. And where the law can no longer bind, that's where sin falls. And where sin falls and sin is undone, then death too will become undone. I think it's like that picture, that, we, that powerful picture we saw at the end of and heard of at the end of the gospel reading today. Remember the scene? Christ there standing before the open tomb of his friend Lazarus. Before that man, risen now, the breath of life spoken back into him. Yet bound in the wraps of death. And what does Christ say to him? Christ says to that man there, bound in the wraps of death. He says, unbind him. Let him go. Friends, as the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, his command to sin in the wraps of death is the same. Unbind him. Let him go. 
The question then is, how do you know? How do you know if the Spirit does indeed dwell and reside in you? Some will look for the Spirit in, in the more unreliable, in the more undiscernible, indiscernible things, things like signs and, and, and wonders, speaking in indiscernible language and tongue. They might listen for the Spirit and look for the Spirit in inner tremor. Inner tremors they might try to feel or, or fevered emotions, but friends, be certain of it. God's far more predictable than that. Far more predictable than that. If you want to know if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then look to the concrete things that He's given. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized in baptism's holy waters? Because it's in that baptism, Scripture tells us, that God pours out His Holy Spirit in us and on us, and He does it abundantly, He says. So look to the concrete things. Do you hear preached? Or do you hear read? Or do you, do you yourself read the Word of God, namely Christ, and Him crucified for you? And do you believe His work? Do you confess Him to be that Lord? Because Scripture says no one can say and confess Jesus is Lord except by that Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So look to the concrete things, friends. Do you make use of the supper of the Lord, knowing yourself to need it? Coming in faith to receive it and all that sin-destroying forgiveness and faith-sustaining strength that it brings. If so, then don't miss the Spirit at work in you. Because these are the pulsations of the Holy Spirit. The living vibrations of the Holy Spirit. This is the rhythm of the Holy Spirit breathing life into those in whom He dwells. If you want to know if the spirit of him who raised Jesus dwells in you, then go to the concrete things of his word and his sacraments, because it's there. And as Luther famously said, it's only there that the spirit is given, that the spirit is found. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if he's in you, then you will be like him. You will be like Him. But let's remember that though sin and death be undone, all the undoing of sin and death doesn't come all at the same time. It doesn't come all at once. It's what we call the now and the not yet of the Christian life. Sin's guilt is, is pardoned. You heard that proclamation of pardon as recently as, as about half an hour ago when it was proclaimed to you. Sin's guilt is pardoned. But sin remains in this world. Bodily mortality remains. The, the body's Christ-like glory is not yet. Though your sins are pardoned now, the glory is not yet. But you know that's exactly what Paul said in the text. Listen once again. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells, present tense, now dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life, not yet, but will also 
give life to your mortal bodies. Each day we moan, we groan. With mortalities, aches, and pains, they may get us down. But knowing what we know from the text, we can think of them in another way. Listen carefully to those moans and groans, those aches and pains. Listen carefully to them. For do you know what it is? It's the sound of sin and death losing its last grip on you. And then, and then at last, then the not yet will become also the now. And as Paul said, the last trumpet will sound. The mortal, he says, will put on immortality. And when it has, then will come to pass that saying that's written. Death is swallowed up in victory. For the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he will, that's his promise to you, give life to these mortal bodies of ours, even if it takes a while. Archbishop Trench tells how in the year 1690, an agave plant was brought. An agave plant resembling a yucca plant was brought over, planted in the gardens of Hampton Court Palace by Queen Mary. For the next 11 years, the plant showed no signs of flowering. In fact, throughout the entire 18th century, the plant showed no signs of putting forth any bud at all. 88 years of the 19th century went by, and still no sign of flower. But then, in 1889, the plant that was planted in 1690, in 1889, the plant burst forth in brilliant blossom, demonstrating and showing the life that had been therein all along. Friends, hear it one more time. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's his promise. The Lord has spoken and he will do it. In his name, amen.
Son Jesus Christ, we ask you to keep your church in safety so that the saving work of Christ and him crucified might be proclaimed throughout all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, give zeal and courage to all pastors that they might preach your word faithfully and administer your sacraments rightly as through these holy means of your grace you forgive your people and strengthen us and enable us to confess Christ in our daily lives and in our vocations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless the teaching, O Lord, of your word, that all who hear it and study it may grow in it and be grateful for it, rejoicing that your life-giving spirit, who dwells within us through baptism, is also the life-sustaining spirit, who through word and sacraments keeps us in both soul and body unto life everlasting. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray, O oh Father, for all who you have set in positions of authority over us, our president and legislators, that through them good and just laws may be established and executed, our law enforcement agencies, that they may successfully apprehend all who endanger our society, our courts, that they may rightly determine innocence and guilt and maintain justice in our land. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Have mercy, O Lord, upon all who serve our country abroad, soldiers, 
our ambassadors and other government agents who serve in distant and dangerous places, guard and protect them and bless their efforts to guard and protect us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the sick and the suffering, the lonely and the truly needy, and for all who mourn, we pray. Bless the medical professions who serve them, the treatments and medications they prescribe, the surgeries performed, that each may accomplish your goodwill in the lives of your people. To that end, be with and bless those we know and love who are receiving medical care in hospitals and care facilities or their homes. Especially today do we pray for Chris Hines, Fred Hine, Paul Duell, Hugh Ryan, Dick and Elsie Much, all others who suffer from chronic illnesses. Look with mercy upon your servant, Tom Hefner, as he recovers from surgery yesterday. Grant your daily strength to the spouses and the families of all who suffer, that their presence, compassion, and love may encourage the sick, and their words of faith and acts of kindness may lift up those who are brought low. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Consider, O oh Father, our daily needs, and bless also our families. Continue to sustain us and our children and their children, both in body and in soul, and dwell daily with us all in our homes. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort all who mourn, be it those who grieve the recent death of a loved one or those still adjusting to the void left by loved ones who died months or even years ago. Be at their side. Give them hope for the future as they reflect upon your promises which we have heard this day, the promises you give to those in whom the Spirit of Christ dwells, that the life immortal given our souls even now is the life immortal to be experienced by our bodies at the resurrection of all flesh. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. These and whatever else you would have us ask, O Father, we ask in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whose spirit dwelling within us by grace, we have life abundantly. Indeed, we have life eternally, so that we can now confidently together pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon your faithful people, Keep them steadfast in your grace and truth. Protect and comfort them in all temptations. Defend us against all enemies of your word. Bestow on the church your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.